I have a two-part question that I want to ask you here. The first part is, how do you pray grace for your enemies? When someone has hurt you, someone has done something wrong to you, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a friend, a relationship that you have, maybe it's somebody that you don't know. Maybe it's you sitting at a traffic light and you've been cut off again. I mean, the evil that comes to us can come in many different ways. Those of you who have listened to me for any length of time, you know that two of my brothers were murdered, for example. That is, those are extreme cases of evil coming to you, but it can come in traffic lights as well. It can come from within your family. You have experienced evil in some form or another, without question, no exceptions. Everybody has. And so the first part of my two-part question is, how do you pray grace for your enemies? How have you trained your mind that your impulse when bad things happen to you is to pray grace for your enemies? Now, here's the second part, and it's important that you hear this. How do you pray justice for your enemies? You see, those two things are not antithetical to each other. Both of those things have to happen according to the Bible. In fact, God extended grace to us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemy. We were walking outside of the grace of God. We were alienated from God. We were darkened in our understanding. We were evildoers. We'd done bad things. But we received grace and we received mercy. And as we learn in Matthew 18 about the man who owed 10,000 talents, and he began to beat up a guy, and he was forgiven of it, and he began to beat up a guy who owed 100 denarii, and he would not extend mercy to him. And they came back to him and said, why couldn't you show mercy as I have shown mercy to you? And so how do you pray grace for your enemies? You think about that person who's hurt you. Perhaps you are bitter with somebody right now. Uh, Perhaps you are put off by somebody because, I mean, you're really hurting. I'm not minimalizing whatever has happened to you. I'm not saying that the hurt is not real. But I'm asking, you to, I'm asking you to think about a very basic thing that Jesus told us to do, love your enemies. And so how do you pray for grace for your enemies? And then I'm not saying that there will never be justice because every sin will be punished. Every evil will be made right in the sense that there will be justice for every evil. So by praying grace, by loving your enemies, doesn't dismiss the justice that is sure to come. And so here's my question for the podcast. How do you pray grace for your enemies and justice for your enemies? When someone hurts you, it is vital to want God's mercy on them. Don't you want them to have mercy as you received mercy? Now, if your answer is no, then you have a you really have a problem. You have a, a deeply rooted theological problem, not, not primarily with the person who has hurt you, but you have a problem with God. If you don't want mercy on the perpetrators of evil, then you do have a problem with God and a weak understanding of the Bible. And that does include me thinking about those who killed my brothers. If I don't want God's mercy on their lives, don't want to see those perpetrators of evil redeemed, And in heaven, receiving God's mercy, transformative mercy, his grace, then there is something wrong with me. But I also want judgment to happen. And so they can can receive the judgment for what they have done. Or they can accept Christ, and Christ can take on their sin. Now, my preference would be for them to accept Christ— and, and the murder 
be on Christ and not on them. But I don't want that, I don't want judgment not to happen. And so whether that judgment happens on Christ or that judgment happens on them, I want that judgment to happen, but I also must extend mercy to them. So how do you pray grace for your enemies and justice for your enemies? How you answer this question does reveal your theology, theos logos. It reveals your view of God and how you live in his world. And so there is a theological understanding by how you answer this question, and then there is a practical understanding how you live in God's world by how you answer this question. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee, and this is episode 207. The title of the podcast is How to Practice Silence for the Benefit of Listening. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to share with you Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. They are written in these show notes. In fact, everything that I'm going to share with you is written in these show notes. And so if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, you can do that by going to episode 207. But I got something better. If you want to hear the sermon where I made these application notes, this is not an exegesis of Revelation 8, 1 through 5. These are my application notes from a sermon that I heard. Now, if you want to go to the source of this podcast, you can listen to my pastor's sermon from our church. And I did ask him some time ago, if the Lord so moves me to really work out my sermon notes, would it be okay if I put it in a a podcast? And he said, that was fine. Go for it. And so I've done a couple already. This is the second one, and so if you want to hear the actual sermon, there's a link here in these show notes, episode 207. But the big question is, how do you pray grace for your enemies? I pray to God that you want to pray grace for your enemies, no matter what they have done to you, and justice for your enemies. And I want you to know that justice will come. Here's the text of Scripture. It's Revelation 8. 1 through 5, not the entire chapter, but it goes like this. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, this means that judgment is about to come. Stuff is happening in heaven. There is action. God is on the move. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's odd. Imagine if you tuned into this podcast and there was silence for about 30 minutes, which is the length of this podcast. You wouldn't tune in. Think about sitting with someone. Let's say someone comes over to your house and you're sitting at your kitchen table and you're talking to them and both of you just choose or you choose to be silent for about 30 minutes. That would be awkward. You're standing at your church meeting in a hallway and you're talking to someone and then you just stop talking for about 30 minutes. Really awkward, really odd. But judgment is about to come, and and the first thing that happens after the Lamb opens the seventh seal is there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. 
You see, we are participating in God's judgment. Judgment's about to happen, as I'm about to read. Judgment is coming. But there are two things that are going on here. There is silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. There's a long pause before the wrath to come. And then the prayers of the saints are now being heard. God is hearing you, and judgment will come. And so at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. Here's the judgment. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Those are the first five verses of Revelation 8, the title of the podcast, episode 207, How to Practice Silence for the Benefit of Listening. The two elements when pondering my question, how do you pray grace for your enemies and justice for your enemies, the two things that I want you to ponder here are silence and prayer. Those are the two things that they did in heaven. There was silence for about 30 minutes. And then we see that the prayers of the saints were coming to pass and wrath happen. The first thing that I want you to look at is silence. One of the things that silence does is that it directs your attention to the source and nature of justice. You see, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there, were si- there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That gives you an opportunity to really focus your attention, not on yourself, not what has happened to you, not the hurt that you feel when somebody has done something wrong to you, but being silent, it gives you a long pause to focus, as they're doing here, on the source and the nature of justice. The source of justice is God, and the nature of justice comes from God And you kind of see this idea in Exodus 14, 14, when Moses and the Hebrew children are about to leave Egypt, and they're going to cross, go through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness. In 14, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Think about the last time that you were disappointed by someone. Is that the first thing that went through your mind? The Lord's going to fight for me, and all I have to do is be silent. More than likely, you weren't. I know it's hard for me to be silent, to close my mouth when evil has come to me. I want judgment right now. I don't want to reorient my mind. I don't want to focus my attention on the source and nature of justice. I want to make justice happen at this moment. And then someone would be listening to this. They say, okay, Rick, so, I, so I, I'd be silent. Does that, does that mean I, I'm passive and I just let things go? No, you're not. You're not listening. Being silent has nothing to do with passivity. I mean, even Moses in Exodus 14 lifted up his staff. Even the Hebrew children marched forward through the Red Sea. No, silence is not a passive exercise at all. It pauses to help you to focus your attention where it needs to be focused, which is what was happening in heaven. The silence clarifies who is the source of justice. And it will give you the time, it will give you the space 
to be able to process rather responding in a reactionary way. Silence is hard work. You must train your mind to tune out the thoughts that can build strongholds in your mind. Some of us don't like silence because it is so loud as we think about what others have done to us, and we really want something to be done right now. Silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. And so the first key thing that I want you to ponder on is this idea of silence, and the second one is prayer. God is the source of all we do, but prayer is the catalyst where we get to cooperate with him and his work in this world. It says twice in this passage, the prayers of the saints, there is value, there is cooperation from us with God, and prayer is the catalyst. Not only is silence an active exercise as you take your thoughts captive, as you refrain from the impulse to mete out judgment in the moment, silence is extremely active. But prayer is also an active exercise. Just because you're not the source of judgment, and I pray to God that you're not the source of judgment, that you're not the person who's meeting out judgment on someone who has hurt you, it does not mean that you are a passive spectator in what must happen. Revelation 8.1 is a scene that describes a moment, a pause, before the Lord unleashes his judgment on evil on the earth. After he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. It was a long pause before wrath. Here's the key idea. When bad things happen to you, there can be a quick call for justice. And in nearly every case, it will go badly for you if you're the quick caller for justice. Even if meeting out punishment has a form of satisfaction in the moment, you know, when someone blows their stack, that's a quick call for justice, and it feels satisfying in a moment, it's a false satisfaction, it's a false peace. Let me give you three examples of how this quick call for justice can happen. One of the most obvious ones, I think, and all of you parents know this, is the parents who react harshly to a disobedient child. When you do that, the judgment that you hurl at your kid, it will only exacerbate the relationship. I think the fact that we all know this, that when you exhibit anger, that when you call for a, a quick call for justice and react harshly to the disobedience of another, it's a complicating problem that can never, ever fix the original problem. It exacerbates the relationship. And that's why it's so important that we understand that our call is to first be silent so that we can reorient our minds on the source and nature of judgment, which is not us, and then to pray. And prayer becomes the catalyst as we cooperate with God as he meets out judgment in his time and to the degree that he sees fit. And so one of the illustrations is a parent who reacts harshly to the disobedient disobedience of a child. And then another is these 
people in our Christians in our culture who who yell out judgment at the immorality that they see in others, and it's everywhere. If you go in the Twitter sphere or anywhere else, I mean, on the television, you you see the immorality everywhere. It is pandemic. It is ubiquitous. And sometimes we're yelling out our justice when that really should not be. We, if you are not praying grace and mercy on the evildoers, then you have positioned yourself in the wrong place. And it will, just like it will exacerbate the relationship with a child, it will create hostility from the radicals. And so if you are a cultural yeller at the immorality, you can do very similarly to the parent who is reacting harshly to a disobedient child. And then the third illustration is a little bit different. It's the hurting soul who feels all alone, oppressed, and vulnerable. They rarely understand the value of silence for reclarifying and reestablishing their soul's And the reason for that is that they're very much problem-centered, and there's a lot of noise in their minds about all the harsh things that have happened to them. If you talk to them, you will hear it. There is—you don't hear faith in God. You you don't hear a person who resting, knowing, knowing that God is going to mete out his punishment in his due time, and I can trust in that— They can't be silent. Their minds are busy as they spin themselves into more and more anger and bitterness. But all three of these scenarios make the problem big, and God is very small. The parent who reacts harshly is a problem-centered parent. The cultural yeller of judgment on the immorality out there is problem-centered, and they have a small God And the hurting soul who is spinning this web of problem-centeredness in their mind can't be silent because all the problems are big, all the hurt is big, and God is so small. The most vital thing that needs addressing in these situations is the individual's lack of understanding how God operates in a fallen world. The people in these three scenarios are problem-centered, not God-centered. And if you want to know if a person is problem-centered or God-centered, listen to how they talk about their problems. A good case study would be 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul was talking about his problem. His problem was a thorn in the flesh. But as you read that passage of Scripture, it is very evident that he is a God-centered man articulating his problem. It's not that justice shouldn't happen. Justice should happen for whatever the evil is that we're talking about. The things that you see in the culture, justice is going to happen. Whatever's going on with your child, justice will happen. Whatever the things are that people have done to you, justice will happen. But the person who brings judgment must never be a problem-centered individual. When something terrible happens to you, the most critical thing to do at that moment is to be quiet. But please understand, this is not a passive pause where you have no obligations No, it is an active silence as you reorient your soul and fixate your focus on the Lord, the one who will bring judgment.
There's another critical passage that I want you to think about along these lines, and this idea of praying grace for our enemies while resting in the sure judgment of God, and that is Romans 12. It was written before Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, but it ties into it nicely because Paul is saying the same thing that John was writing in Revelation. In Romans 12, verses 19 and 21, this is what Paul said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Right there, right from jump, He's saying that the source and nature of wrath is not from us. We are not the dispensers of judgment on other people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so what we want to do is to stand in silence so we can learn this skill, this gift of listening, so that we can reorient our mind on the Lord, the dispenser of judgment. And then Paul goes on to say, to the contrary, to the contrary, rather than avenging yourself, here's what I want you to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You, my question was, at the very beginning of this podcast, how do you pray grace for your enemies and justice for your enemies? Paul answers that question in Romans 12, 19 through 21. Here's how you pray justice for your enemies. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then how do you pray grace for your enemies? Paul says, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul is teaching us that there is a short-range and long-range aspect to our responses to evil, and it is important that you understand this. There's a short-range plan to evil, and we see it here in Romans 12, and there is a long-range plan. The short-range is not you or not me dispensing evil or dispensing judgment on evildoers. That is not the short-range plan. He says, don't avenge yourselves. Leave it for the wrath of God. So when something bad happens to you, the short-range plan is not for you to dispense judgment. Paul says, to the contrary, contrary-wise. We are loving our enemies by doing good and extending grace. That is the short-range plan on evildoers. And that's exactly what you want them to do to you. The long-range aspect is that God will punish all evil deeds. And so you're bringing both of these things together in this passage in Romans 12 or Revelation 8. You can pray grace for your enemies, and you can rest assured that judgment is coming, and that's the long-range aspect. God will punish all evil deeds. Nobody will ever commit any sin that the Lord will not punish, and we see it in the most horrific ways at the end of this passage in Revelation. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. 
And it is imperative that when someone does something harmful to you, that you have a short-range, long-range response to them. The short-range response, if your enemy is hungry, feed them thirsty, give them something to drink, for by so doing you'll heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then the long-range plan, beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There should not be any tension about extending grace and resting in God's judgment on evildoers. The key for you, the key for me, when bad things happen, is to be silent. There was silence in heaven for about 30 minutes, and it will reorient your soul. And it will reestablish your mind on the nature and the source of judgment, who is the Lord of all judgments. And so the nature of judgment is not human-centered. That's not the nature of judgment. Vengeance is not ours. And so the nature of judgment is not human-centered. It's not evil-orchestrated. Not us doing it sinfully. And it's not administered by the person who is hurt. The nature of judgment is always God-centered. And then the source of judgment, well, the source is not from our hearts. If you are like the parent that I illustrated earlier and that you respond in a reactionary way to a disobedient child, then the source of judgment is in your heart. But the source of judgment should not be in our hearts or whatever our minds can contrive to create justice from our fallen perspectives. God is the source of judgment as well as the nature of judgment, which makes his responses to evil pure and timely. This is episode 207, How to Practice Silence for the Benefit of Listening. Here's your call to action. Are you reactionary? Very straightforward question. Are you reactionary? When someone close to you does wrong, are your responses impulsive? Or maybe you're that person that is swirling around in your mind, lost inside of your head as you think about all the hurt that has been done to you. I'm not minimalizing the hurt in any way whatsoever, but are you captured? Is that a stronghold in your mind to where you can't be silent? You have trained yourself by repeatedly dwelling on the horrific things that have happened to you, and so you are not reorienting your mind to the nature of judgment and the source of judgment. Are you reactionary? If you have a busy mind that responds reactively or focuses on the sin of others, you must meditate on this passage in Revelation 8. Will you do that? And will you ask the Lord to give you the gift of silence? And for those of you who are lost inside of your heads, it will be very hard for you to apply the gift of silence to your life. But will you meditate on this passage? Memorize it if you have to. Revelation 8, 1 through 5. Think about what is going on there. And if you want, also take Romans 12, 19 through 21. Memorize it and meditate on it and let God's word saturate your mind. And then the second thing that I would like for you to do in this idea of retraining your mind so you can practice silence for the benefit of listening is I have an article here called Taking Your Thoughts Captive. How to Take Your Thoughts Captive. 
They're in these show notes. They're at the top of it. And I would love for you to click on it and study that uh, study that article. It will ha- it will be a tremendous benefit for you as you begin to retrain your mind. And then number three, I want you to talk to a friend about your problem. Let them walk with you as you learn the value of silence while entrusting the Lord to exercise his judgments in his time. Will you do that? And so I I want you to meditate on this passage, Revelation chapter 8. I want you to study this article that I have for you of taking your thoughts captive. And then I want you to talk to a friend and help uh, let them walk with you through this so you can learn the value of silence while entrusting the Lord uh, to exercise his judgments in his due time. The passage of Scripture, another passage of Scripture that will benefit you is 1 Peter 2.23. It says this, when he was reviled, Jesus, when Jesus was reviled, when he was hurt, when evildoers did wrong to him, he did not revile in return. He had practiced this idea of silence, self-control, bringing himself under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when evil came to Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten But here it is. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Whatever's happened to you, are you entrusting yourself to him who judges justly? All sin will be punished. Practice extending grace to evildoers. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.